I want to uh, thank Pastor Svensson and First CRC for uh, letting us use their facilities and offering us their people and their talents to put this service together. We uh, pray that it is uh, for all of you who are watching an encouragement and an uplifting, uh, as it should be to consider Christ ascended and seated on the throne. Uh, We have two scripture passages today, an Old Testament scripture passage, Psalm 24, and a New Testament scripture passage, Revelation 5. Reading first Psalm 24, before we read the scripture passages, uh, will you pray with me and ask the Lord's blessing upon this? Heavenly Father, we ask that by your spirit you would enlighten to us Jesus Christ, who is here in your word displayed to us, that by beholding Christ we would be conformed to his image all the more, that we would have hope in our promised future, and that we would know that whatever may come, whatever may pass, whatever we may experience in this life, our destiny is sure because of Christ's accomplishment in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. In his death, we die. In his resurrection, we are resurrected. In his ascension, we rise. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Turning now to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, where we read of this vision from John the Apostle. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. 
See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. I want you to think of something called champion warfare. And maybe you don't know what it is, but I'm sure you, have, you probably know better than you think. Champion warfare is a type of battle most commonly found in epic poetry, the myths of ancient history, and scripture. Think David and Goliath. Champion warfare is warfare in which the outcome of a conflict is determined by single combat. An individual duel between the best soldiers or champions from each opposing army. So one army puts forth their best warrior, and another army puts forth their best warrior. And whoever wins is the winner of the battle. And I want you to imagine, and it shouldn't be too hard to imagine since it's true, that humanity itself, all of mankind, is at war, at enmity with God. And the only way to make peace is via a champion, one who stands in our place. Now, what I want us to think of, if we weren't good Sunday school students who know every answer is Jesus, who would you pick to be your champion, that is? Who would you pick? To be your champion before God. See, I think that often we would go straight to the, 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 the spiritual answer, the Sunday school answer. Jesus, of course. We'd pick Jesus. But if, if we, we didn't know that, if, if, we, uh, 
if we had a shallow understanding of, of, of what this was, maybe, maybe we would pick the strongest man we can think of, right? The strong man competitions, those people that can pull semi-trucks. We'd want him to be our champion. Maybe we, maybe we would pick the smartest person that we can think of, one who's won the Nobel Peace Prize or um, who, who, who's discovered the cure to cancer whenever that happens or if that happens. Who would you pick? And, and what I want you to think is, would you pick a lamb? Would you pick a lamb? Well, not just any lamb, a slain one. See, it's true, right, that we often uh, lose the significance of the imagery uh, being depicted for us in the scriptures because we're so familiar with it. Here we are, humanity's greatest challenge. No one is worthy. And the champion chosen is a lamb which looks like it has been slain. Quite interesting, isn't it? I want us, as we go through these scripture passages, to think of a question that's presented to us, a question that's presented to us in Psalm 24, and that is, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? You know, when David wrote that psalm, um, I'm sure that they were thinking of temple worship, right? You would go up the temple mount in Jerusalem and you would rise and you would ascend the steps of the temple mountain. And the question is being presented, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? But in Revelation 5, we're given the greater picture, the greater fulfillment of that ascending mountain picture. And that is, who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord and go into the very presence of God, the throne room of God? Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? And as we ponder that question, we're going to, uh, we're going to have three points today in response to that question. In response to the question, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, the first answer is not us. Not us. Revelation chapter 5, John gives this heavenly vision. And it uses so much imagery. It's often been said, if, if one doesn't know the Old Testament, they'll not be able to understand Revelation. And it's, it's a true statement. There's so much imagery, prophetic imagery from the Old Testament that given here. We may not be able to discuss every single one of these details today, but... In response to the question, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, the answer first given by John and should be the answer that all of us agree with is we are not qualified. Verse 1 through 4, John sees in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, in the hand of God, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, the scroll could mean many things. It could mean the law of God. It could mean the book of life. It could mean a lot of these things. But most likely, it's, it's God's redemptive plan for the world. God's desire, outcome for the world and everything he's created. It's here in the scroll. And these seals... What do they represent? Well, they represent the accomplishment of the things God has purposed. 
that God is accomplishing what he wants in the world. And here, John stands in heaven and he sees a vision and he realizes in a very visionary, visual sense that what God desires to accomplish in the world cannot happen. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? This is John's way of saying, Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? And the answer is quite frightening. When you understand the predicament, the circumstances, the situation, what John is witnessing, no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. That's about as comprehensive as you could possibly get. No one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth, no one anywhere. You can't find anyone who can even open the scroll or look inside it. No one can release, release unleash, Move forward God's redemptive plan for the world. Something's in the way. And John's response should be our response in the face of this. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and approach his throne to break the seals? The first answer is very clear. Not us. But if we look at uh, Psalm 24, it might give us a, a, a more clear picture as to the reason why we don't qualify, why we... Why we can't. Why is it that we can't ascend the mountain of the Lord? Why is it that we can't open the scroll and break the seals? And uh, it says here, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? What's the the resume require? What what sort of experience does it require? Uh, Who can apply, right? Um, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by a false god? What is false? See, when David in Psalm 24 says, He who has clean hands, he he isn't talking about Purell and washing your hands regularly like we're facing today in our COVID 19 world. Uh, He's talking about he whose hands are not soiled by sinful actions. And when he says a pure heart, he's, he's not thinking of that southern way of phraseology, the way I think, oh, bless his heart. He says only the person who has no sinful inner thoughts and desires can ascend the hill of the Lord, can take the scroll and open its seals. And, and when you hear that, then you should realize the reason why it's not us, we can't ascend the mountain we can't ascend the mountain of the Lord, we can't ascend the hill, is because we are sinners. 
were fallen in the sin of our first parents and and uh, we're we're lost broken he who has clean hands I can tell you what, I can wash my hands as many times as you could possibly think. I can use hand sanitizer all day long, and I don't have clean hands. Not really. Not in the spiritual sense. I'm, I'm still sullied, soiled. I have a pure heart. You know, it's often been said that uh, we think too highly of ourselves and we, we think we're generally good people and, and the question is asked, well, what if, uh, what if a whole 24 hour, uh, hours were filmed of your thoughts, your inner thoughts, and then you brought all your family and your, your church friends and members together and we brought them here into the, the, the sanctuary and we played that film, the 24 hours of, of your inner thoughts and, and what you're thinking of and, and would you be ashamed? Would you be embarrassed? Would you be horrified by that? And I think many of us would, would answer truthfully, yeah, we, we don't have pure hearts. We don't always think proper thoughts. We don't. And that's why we don't qualify. We cannot ascend the mountain of the Lord, the hill. We cannot reach our hand out and grab that scroll and break its seals. And we cannot advance God's redemptive plan for the world. We're part of the problem, not the solution. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Well, the second answer to that in God's grace. It's only Him. Only Him. There's John, weeping and weeping because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside, and he gets some good news. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. It's a beautiful phrase to see Christ described here as both a lion and a lamb. Where does that imagery come from? The lion of the tribe of Judah. On Genesis 49, Jacob prophesies over his sons the patriarchs, 12 patriarchs. And he says this of Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You're a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And we go forward, and of the tribe of Judah is, of course, David, who is the one who has a promised eternal dynasty. The root of David, 
It's a prophecy found in many Old Testament scripture passages about this branch, right? The branch of the root of David. Well, one that's probably uh, very beneficial for us to see tonight is Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 of this imagery of the root of David says this. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 2. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of the power. And of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. That is a depiction of Jesus Christ, our promised Savior. The root of David. Don't weep any longer. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has overcome. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And Paul says in the book of Romans, the very beginning of his letter, who Christ was and how it's important to us to understand where our Savior has come from. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature, or who as to the flesh, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit, or as to his spirit, of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, By his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ. Our Lord. By the flesh. The son of David. By the spirit. Declared to be. The son of God. Son of David. Son of God. Lion. Judah. The question is. Why is it. Only he's able to ascend the mountain of the Lord. Why is it that he, only him, has the credentials? He has clean hands, a pure heart. He did not trust in an idol or swear by something that was false. Our catechism tells us why only him, only him, is qualified to ascend the hill of the Lord. Lord's Day 5 and 6 goes through a variety of these questions. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both in this world and forever after. How can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? We have to make the payment in full, right? Can we pay this debt ourselves? No. We increase our guilt every day. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? According to John, no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth. No, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? Truly human, truly righteous, more powerful than all creatures, he must be true God. Why must he be truly human and truly righteous? God's justice demands it. Man is sin. Man must pay for his sin, but a sinner cannot pay for others. And why must he also be true God? So that by the power of his divinity he might bear the weight of God's anger and his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness 
and life. Who is this mediator? True God and at the same time truly human and truly righteous. Our catechism's answer is our Lord Jesus Christ. This is John's answer. John's answer is Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. We're told, don't weep. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Here is our champion. How did he triumph? How did he overcome? By being a lamb who was slain. A lamb that looked as if it had been slain. I think it's important to understand that particular wording because he triumphed not only through his death but his resurrection. He proclaims at the beginning of the book of Revelation, Behold, I was dead and now I am alive forevermore. Christ triumphed through his death and resurrection, and that's why he is a lamb that looked as though he had been slain. The gates opened up to Christ. Remember Psalm 24. Swing open, you gates, because the King of glory is the Lord of glory who was crucified as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And if you don't believe me, believe Paul in Philippians chapter 2, that great famous passage, that hymn of Christ, right? This is what Paul says that we should imitate. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's Paul's way of saying it looks like a lamb that was slain. Being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see what Paul is saying here, right? He's saying, 
Christ emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became a man. Being found in the appearance of a man, he, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. There, it's no surprise then that we see in Revelation chapter 5 that the image given of our champion, the one who is going to go and represent us in the throne room of God, is not what we think it would be. It's not the fierceness of the lion, the image that we're given. It's a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain. Because it is in Christ's sacrifice that therefore God exalts him. It is in his humility he receives exaltation. It's in his death he finds his vindication. And resurrection. He takes the scroll. Christ takes the scroll, and thus, in his ascension, progresses God's redemptive plan for the world forward and enters us into the last days. The seals are being opened as we speak. The consummation of all things approaches each and every day. We are people of the last days, we are people who have a king on the throne. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Not us. Only Him. The question should be then now at this point, what should our response to this news be? What does it mean that Christ is worthy to ascend the mountain and take the scroll? It means He's worthy to be praised. Worthy to be worshipped. That's exactly what John says right after this. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. A new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be kingdom, to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Christ has redeemed us, his people, from our sins and freed us from the tyranny of the devil and freed us to fulfill our Genesis dominion mandate, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And the image continues, right? He says, I looked and heard the voices of many angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they sang. Heaven sings. Right now, heaven sings because of Christ's ascension. Worthy are you to receive power. And wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And the words could keep going and going and going and going. But it doesn't stop there, right? 
Christ calls us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven sings. Well, guess what? All of creation sings. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. Remember all the disqualified, unqualified ones who couldn't take the scroll. Now they sing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And they fell down and worshipped. The ascension means, in part, that our praise and worship of Jesus Christ, our Lord, is not only commanded, not only warranted, but it is vindicated. It is the proper response. The proper response to Christ's ascension is awe and praise and song and declaration of his worthiness. And when we experience the darkness of the world and we begin to forget the reality of that heavenly throne room, begin to forget why we worship, we must be remembered, we must be reminded that because Christ is on his throne, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is he to be praised. Let's go back to that image, right? Champion warfare. Christ goes to battle for us, not against God, but against our sin and our great enemy, Satan. And in his death and resurrection, he overcomes what has put us at enmity with God and brings us peace, everlasting peace, eternal peace, peace with God. So we could ask that question again, right? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Well, prior to Christ's coming, not us, only Him, but another way we could answer this question now, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord is us, the people of God. Not on our own merits. In in and of ourselves, we don't deserve to ascend the mountain of the Lord. We don't deserve to ascend the mountain of the Lord when we gather together on the Lord's day as we so longingly desire to do now. And we, we get a taste, a heavenly foretaste of that future throne room worship. We don't, we don't deserve to ascend the mountain of the Lord when at the Lord's table we're brought up into his presence in the heavenlies and he's prepared it before us and he feeds us spiritually on his body and his blood. We don't deserve that. But we get it anyways. That's why it's called grace. We don't ascend the mountain of the Lord, the hill of the Lord, on our own merits, but His. You see, we ascend the mountain in Christ. We're there because He's there. We're promised that we will be there one day because he is there. 
We're assured that we will have eternal glory with Him because He's given us His Spirit. And once again, if you don't believe me, believe what the writer of the book of Hebrews says, chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's the writer of Hebrews' way of saying entering into the throne room of God, the very presence of God himself. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You understand what... It's being said here, saying that the way that we enter into the very presence of God is through the body of Jesus Christ. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Jesus Christ. And all he has died to redeem with him. I don't know about you, but that's the champion. I wouldn't have chose in my sinfulness. That's the champion I'm so thankful God gave us. He has given us in Christ all that we need. And he has promised us more than we can ever think or imagine. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would help us often to ponder and think of Christ's ascension in the days ahead, not only on Ascension Day, but as we lose our footing, become anxious, disheartened, may we remember that Christ is seated on the throne and that him being seated on the throne is a declaration that our sins have been forgiven and that we've been given eternal life and that we await a future that we cannot even comprehend. And may we live today, in these days, in the days that we have remaining here on earth, in light. In light of the enthroned Jesus Christ. That we may continue to pick up our crosses and die daily. as we await our exaltation. 
the resurrection of the living and the dead. And the promised judgment that is to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.